fortunate to have a good friend of Boudreaux with us. So without further ado, please welcome Mr. Bob Fletcher. Thank you so much. Uh, it's always a privilege and an honor to be in this class, um, purple and gold. At the purple and gold of LSU, the national champions of the world. Uh, <laughs> actually comes from the colors of Mardi Gras, because when uh, LSU first played Tulane in 1890-something, they only had uh, leftover stuff from Mardi Gras, so LSU chose purple and gold, and Tulane chose the green. So that's how the colors of the, the schools came. And I had a joke for you today, uh, more of a Valentine's joke, but then when the Mardi Gras stuff started, I figured, well, you know, maybe I'd change my joke. Um, you know, Mardi Gras is the last day you can really have fun before Lent starts. That's what this is all about, right? So Boudreaux was uh, working offshore up in the North Sea, and after two weeks on, he'd get one week off, and so he'd go to London and um, went, to a, went, went to one of the pubs in London, and he ordered three pints of Guinness. So the guy draws three pints of Guinness, Boudreaux sits there, drinks all three pints, orders three pints more. And the, and the uh, uh, bartender says, well, you know, sir, he says, I just want to tell you that you don't have to order three at a time. I, I can, I, you know, by the time I, you finish one, I could, I could get you another one. Boudreaux goes, oh, no, 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 you don't understand. Uh, this is a tradition in my family. He said, I got two brothers. I got one in Lafayette. I got one in Baton Rouge. And any time one of us is away from the other, and in a bar, we order the beers for, for all the brothers, and that way we kind of act like the brothers are with us. Because, oh, that's a great tradition. So a couple weeks went by, and Boudreaux comes back, and Boudreaux walks in, and he orders two beers. And everybody in the bar got real quiet. Drinks two beers, ordered two more. But, and the bartender goes, oh, Boudreaux, I'm so sorry for your loss. Boudreaux goes, oh, no, no, my brothers are fine. I gave up beer for Lent. <laughs> Don't use that, because I know God knows that joke, all right? <laughs> so today, um, I decided, it's interesting when, when you try to find a subject to talk about, and I always pray, pray to try to get the Holy Spirit to kind of give me a nudge on what he wants me to do. And, and I saw uh, on YouTube an N.T. Wright video that I watched, and then I watched the video on Andy Stanley, which I typically don't do, but I, this one kind of kind of was a was a, was a good one and both of them pointed to uh, a subject that I want to talk about today and probably a book that you have never well I I didn't spend a lot of time reading it it's the shortest book in the Bible it's Philemon the letter of Paul to Philemon and uh, and N.T. Wright says that if we didn't have anything else in the New Testament no gospels no letters of Paul if all we had was the letter to Philemon, that would have pointed that something changed in the culture and in, and in history. Something changed to change people. Of course, we know it was the death of Jesus and his resurrection. So it's a pretty important book uh, or letter. Um, it's a personal letter. And by the way, it's right between Titus and Hebrews, so you can miss it real fast because it's on one page. It's only 25 verses. Um, it was probably written, Paul wrote it in prison. Now, here comes the first discussion. Which, where was he? Was he in Rome when he wrote it, or was he in Ephesus when he wrote it? Most people um, 
prior to the last five or ten years said that he was in Rome. Um, but now the discussion is that Paul was probably in Ephesus in prison for whatever for whatever reason that he was in prison. So it's a prison letter, just like uh, Ephesians, Colossians, um, Corinthians. Those are the, the, the letters that Paul wrote in prison. And so um, when he wrote Colossians, he wrote Philemon. And so Tychus, who was going to take Colossians to Colossae, uh, also took this letter to Philemon. And you might want to know, why does this letter, 25 verses long, a personal letter from Paul to Philemon, how did it? How did it, it, it be kept for all these years? And and why in the world is it even in the canon? And it was a part of the canon or part of the New Testament writings as early as 150 A.D. So it's always been in there. So I'm going to answer the the mystery at the end. But let's let's take a look at this letter um, that Paul wrote um, to Philemon. And some people pronounce it Philemon. You know, it's up to you however you want to. Most people pronounce it Philemon. So here we go. Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother. So first of all, this is the only time that Paul introduces himself in a letter and doesn't uh, doesn't call himself either a servant or an apostle. In all the other letters, Galatians, Romans, he says Paul an apostle or Paul a servant of Jesus. In this letter, he says Paul a prisoner of Christ Jesus. To Philemon, our dear friend and co-worker. Now, Philemon lived in Colossae, which is about 80 miles from Ephesus. Uh, if you go on um, a tour of Ephesus and, you know, the walkings of Paul, you'll see, you obviously go to Ephesus because it's still got ruins. You'll, you, you very well may go to Hierapolis, which is the, uh, the steaming um, baths that they have uh, and still exist for that matter. But about 10 miles from that is Colossae, and Colossae is basically covered over uh, and never has been, no archaeologist has started to, um, to uncover Colossae, and it's so we don't really know a lot about it. But Philemon uh, was in Colossae. Um, Philemon. Philemon, my dear friend and co-worker, to Aphia, our sister. Well, Aphia was his wife. So I mean, first of all, let me tell you the story. Onesimus is a slave, and he runs away. And so in order for the family to accept him back, you've got to have the whole family to accept him back. So that's why, that's why Paul included the wife, Athia. And Archippus, which some people think is his son, our fellow soldier to the church in your house. Now, you know that church buildings didn't exist until the third century. So until the third century, the early church met in people's homes homes, and they were house churches, maybe a room somewhere in, in, in somebody's home. So this was a church in Colossae that Philemon had in his house. Grace to you and peace from God and Father, our Lord Jesus Christ. So that's the preamble to the, to the letter, and it pretty much matches the preamble to, Col to the letter of Colossians, which Colossians is the people in Colossae. That's where letter of Colossians is, and of course to Ephesus and um, Ephesians and to Rome, Romans and Galatia. Now here comes, that was the, the beginning, now comes the, the thanksgiving and the prayer in the letter. When I remember you in my prayers, I always thank my God because I hear of your love for all the saints and your faith toward the Lord Jesus. Some people think that Paul is kind of, you know, saying a lot of nice things to Philemon so that he'll do what 
Paul wants him to do. I'm just thinking that he's, you know, telling the truth, which is, you know, you're my, you're, I've saved you, and I've been hearing about what you've been doing, and so I'm praising you. Here's the prayer. I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective when you perceive all the good that we may do for Christ. I have indeed received much joy and encouragement from your love because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you, my brother. He's setting him up for the request. Now, here we go. Paul's in prison. Onesimus runs away from Philemon as a slave, probably stole something from him. We'll, we'll get to that in a minute probably stole from him, found his way to Ephesus, which is 80 miles away, somehow found his way to Paul in prison, and Paul saved him as a Christian, gave his heart to Christ. So now Paul has a problem. As a pastor, what do you do? First of all, you better not be harboring a, fel a felon, which is a runaway slave. That probably won't get you out of prison, okay? So that's not a good thing to do. And if you're a pastor... What are you going to do? You're going to write a letter to Philemon and say, I got Onesimus and he's a Christian and I think you ought to free him. Well, that you could do that, but that's not really the teaching that that Paul wants to do to, to Philemon. He wants to teach him something else. So here we go. Number eight, verse eight. For this reason, though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do this. In other words, now remember, I'm Paul the Apostle. So... I could tell you to do this. I could give you a command to do this. Now, let's talk a little bit about that. Isn't it easier? I mean, you could tell your children to do stuff. I mean, you're the parent. You can just tell them to do it. But isn't it better to coach them and teach them about why you want them to do what you want them to do so that they can learn the concept and change their character? I mean, Paul is after changing, changing the heart of Philemon. But I could command you to do this. Yet, I would rather appeal to you on the basis of love. It, it just amazes me that the Holy Spirit works like it does because that prayer about love and God is exactly what we're talking about today. And what love is that? It's not, it's not all the other Greek words for love. It's agape. It's that unconditional love that we have, that God has for us, and that we should have for each other. Okay? And I, Paul... Do this as an old man. So do it for for the love of God and the love of people. You know, by the way, I'm old, so do it because I'm old. <laughs> and I'm also in prison. <laughs> so I'm old and in prison. He's giving him a lot of reasons to do this, right? Not that I want to command you. I'm appealing to you for my child, Onesimus, whose father I have become during my imprisonment. So... We see that a lot in the New Testament where um, where uh, new newborn Christians are called brothers, sisters, sons, daughters. Formerly, he was useless. Now, that's, this is, I would love to have had a beer with Paul, although I don't drink, but maybe an iced tea with Paul, okay? Because I think he was a funny guy. I mean, he, he had a sense of humor. The word Onesimus in Greek means useful, okay? So watch this. Formerly, he was useless to you. Well, so something must have happened that made Onesimus leave, right? And maybe it was that Philemon just didn't think he was doing a good job. And by the way, let's talk a little bit about slavery in the first century. Um, slavery in the first century is not the same as slavery in the 18th century. When we talk about slavery in the 18th century, we're talking about races. 
we're talking about going to Africa and getting people of color and bringing them to the to the New World. That wasn't the case in the first century. About a third of the people in the first century were slaves. And so how did you how did you become a slave? Well, there are all different kinds of reasons. For example, if the Roman army defeated your army, they took you as slaves. So they took everybody. They took the doctors and the lawyers and the and the musicians and the and the and the and the, and the okay? So you could have been uh, top of the culture in your in your country, but if the Romans took beat you in, in, in battle, you all of a sudden become a slave to somebody. For example, in 70 AD, when Titus defeated um, the Israelites and tore down the temple, if you ever go to Rome, go to the Forum, and you'll see the Arts of Titus, right? And you'll see them carrying the, con- the candelabra, the seven, seven parts of the uh, seven thing candelabra on the side of the Arch of Titus. Who do you think built the Colosseum? Jewish slaves. He brought the Jews back because he defeated them. Now, you could become a slave because your guys lost. You could become a slave or a bond servant because you couldn't pay your debts. So you just decide, well, okay, I can't pay my debts, so I'll work for you and work it off, right? So a lot of different people could have become, could have become slaves. Formerly, he was useless to you. But now he is indeed useful, Onesimus, to both you and me. So I'm sending him back to you. Okay, so Paul the pastor made a decision. Onesimus, you shouldn't have run away. Okay, so you got to go back. That's right. That's the right thing to do. You got to go back. You got to overcome your fear and you got to go back and you got to face Philemon. Now, do you have any idea what would happen to a runaway slave if they caught him? You can imagine what could happen. Everything from beating them to crucifying them. So slaves back in those days had no rights, none, zero. In fact, until 20 AD, the Roman government said that a slave could actually have a trial so that he could at least defend himself. But for for the most part, they had no status whatsoever. And by the way, if you were a woman or a child slave, you really had absolutely no, uh, no status whatsoever. I'm sending him back. I wanted to keep him with me. So Onesimus must have been really good to Paul in prison. And he wanted to keep him as, as a person that, that could help him. I wanted to keep him with me so that he might be of service to me in your, in your place. Here's another little hint, right? Uh, Philemon, you know, um, I'm sure that if you weren't so busy running whatever business you're running, I'm positive, Philemon, that you would have been here in prison with me. But since you can't come... Onesimus took your place, in your place during my imprisonment for the gospel. But I preferred to do nothing without your consent. So I could have kept him, but you know what? He belongs to you, and so I'm not going to do anything without your, without your consent. In other words, Philemon, you got to call this shot. By the way, how do you think Philemon, whether it was days, weeks, months, could have been years that Onesimus was gone? If he did steal something from him, he could have took lots of good stuff. You know, he could have taken the rings and the bracelets and the gold coins and what. He could have taken almost everything Onesimus had. How do you think every day Philemon was thinking about Onesimus? Angry, if I ever get my hands on that guy, I'm going to do what he deserves. But I preferred to do nothing without your consent in order that your good deed might be voluntary. I'm coaching you here, Philemon. You're a Christian. I saved you. 
you got the love of God in your heart. Now you're going to have, this is a real deal here. We're faced with not talking about what we're going to do. We're talking about actually doing something. So I'm going to think that you're going to do the right thing. I'm not going to command it. I'm just thinking that you're probably going to do voluntarily the right thing and not something forced. I don't want to force this. Perhaps this is the reason he was separated from you for a while so that you might have him back forever, no longer as a slave, but more than a slave, a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. Now let's pause there for a moment. Have you ever thought, and by the way, I don't, I don't really believe this, but there are times when I think it happened. Do you ever believe sometimes that things happen because there's a reason for them to happen? Now, some people believe that everything that happens is a reason, but I don't believe that. But sometimes you look back and you go, you know what? I didn't really understand that what happened to me or why I'm working in this place or, or why I was sent over here or why I moved over here because it's been miserable. And then you look back on it and you found out there was a reason for that. Maybe you had to learn something, you know? Sometimes you have to learn something. It took 40 years in the wilderness for those people to learn something, right? They had to learn something. So so Paul is saying, you know what? Maybe there's a light at the end of the, there's a there's some silver at the, on this cloud. And here's the, here it is. Onesimus ran away, but he ran to me. And because he ran to me, he's saved. So maybe it's a good thing now that he comes back because now he's coming back as your brother, not your slave. Do you have any idea how radical that is? That changed the world, y'all. That's the upside-down world of the kingdom. When we live in the kingdom, we don't have masters and slaves. We've got brothers and sisters, right? We're supposed to be brothers and sisters with each other. Do you know that Paul uses the word in Christ 140 times in his letters? And what he means by that is if we're in Christ, then we are co-heirs with Christ, right? In fact, in Galatians, he says... There's neither male nor female, Gentile or Jew. There's no, uh, we're all one in Christ Jesus. Verse 17. So if you consider me your partner, okay, so you're a businessman, Philemon, we're partners, all right? So let's use a business word here. This is a Greek word for a business word. We're partners. We've got the same ideas, same reasons, same desire, same hope. We are partners. So if you consider me a partner, Welcome him as you would welcome me. In other words, if you take this guy back, look at me when you take him back. Okay? If he has wronged you in any way or owes you anything, put it on my account. If he stole from you, I don't care what it was, I'm going to pay it back. Do you see anything in here that sounds like Jesus on the cross? Paul is playing Christ here for Philemon and Onesimus. He's saying... I believe Jesus said when he was on the cross, give me all the sins, all y'all sins. I'll take all the sins and I'll pay whatever the price is. I'll die for those sins. So Paul is saying the same thing. If he wronged you, I'll fix it. If he owes you something, I'll pay you. I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand and I will repay it. So there is an IOU signed by Paul. So somewhere in that letter, there's going to be a word, Paul, Next to one line, it says, I owe you. Just like, just like Jesus said, I'll take care of it. I say nothing about you owning, owing me. <laughs> just going to mention it. <laughs> you know, if, if we really sat down and thought about it, I saved you. You know, I not saved you, but I gave you the gospel and you were saved because of my preaching the gospel to you. 
So you kind of owe me here, right? I'm pretty sure that when Philemon read that, he kind of chuckled like, okay, Paul. You know, Onesimus ripped me off. Come on. The guy ripped me off, but he left. Now I owe you. I'm writing you. I see um, nothing about you owing me. Yes, brother, let me have this benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I'm writing to you knowing that you will do even more than I say. Now, people have looked at that and said, well, what's the more? Well, could the more have been that not only does Philemon take Onesimus back, but he takes him back and frees him. Paul didn't ask for that, but he said, not only do I think you're going to, I have full confidence you're going to do what's right, but you know what? You're not only going to do what's right, you're going to do more than what's right. So one more thing, prepare a guest room for me. Because <laughs> when I get out of here, I'm coming to see you to see what you did. <laughs> I'm going to check on you. Prepare a guest room for me, for I'm hoping through your prayers to be restored to you. And then he ends with um, the ending. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends greetings. So does Mark, Demas, and Luke. Luke was probably Paul's doctor. My fellow workers, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ with your spirit. So, Philemon. What is Philemon? Oh, by the way, uh, what did Philemon do? We don't know. But we got the letter, 2,000 years, right? So, would we have kept the letter if Philemon took him back as a slave and had retribution? Probably not, right? <clears throat> so, here we go. What did we learn from this? Or what can we take in practice? When we choose to carry one another's burdens, what divides us diminishes, and what unites us surfaces. Jesus didn't come to take sides. He came to take over. And we are kingdom people. We worship the true king, not Caesar. And early Christians who believed in that lost their lives over it. So cultural disruptive unity was a threat to the empire. Think about this. Paul just told a person who was in high society, Philemon, probably a rich businessman. He told a rich businessman and that the slave he had was equal to him. Man, that's culturally upside down. And it was, it was something that the early Christians did. Can you imagine people meeting in a house and there were men and women? There were rich and poor. There were leaders and followers, and they all got together, and they changed, literally changed the world. So first century and second century, century, classes of people never overlapped, hardly ever, but they did come together voluntarily as Christians to worship the crucified Lord. Think about Galatians 3.28, a radical statement. We talk about the radical statements of, of the New Testament. Paul says, we're neither slave nor free. No, he's, first he says, we're neither Jew or Gentile. Can you imagine that? We're neither Jew or Gentile. You can imagine what the Jew said. Whoa, 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 whoa. We worship Yahweh. There's no way I'm, I'm, not, I'm not sharing Yahweh. Okay. We belong to Yahweh. I'm not sharing Yahweh. And by the way, I'm not sitting next to a Gentile who eats, pig, who eats swine. It's not going to happen. These people are unclean. But what Paul says is that if you're a Christian and you're in Christ and you have the love of Christ in you, there is neither Jew nor Gentile. We are together in this. Neither are there slave nor free. We're equal in ecclesia. The church was called ecclesia, okay? It was, a, it was the gathering of the 
people of God. There's neither slave nor free. There's no there's no slats on the on the cultural ladder. We're all together. Nor male or female. Whoa, 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 whoa. Females couldn't even couldn't even vote. They had in the census they didn't even count. They didn't count females and and, and, and children. You telling me that the males and the females are equal? Same standing. The same standing in the kingdom. We're all one in Christ Jesus. Now, we've all been nice and comfortable. I want to stir this one up. There's neither Jew nor Gentile. There's neither slave nor free. There's neither male nor female. Now, let me add some couple. There's neither Democrat or Republican. Y'all, did y'all listen to the first 25 minutes of this? Let me just ask you, let me just ask you something. By the way, there's neither black nor white, okay? I could go one more. Um, but let me just ask you this. When when the new Jerusalem comes to, the new heaven and meets the new Jerusalem, the new earth, and we're all resurrected, I'm going to tell you a couple of things that ain't going to happen, okay? Number one, there won't be any Democrats or Republicans in heaven, okay? I'm just going to tell you that. There's no, there'll be no Jew or Gentile. There'll be no slave or free. There'll be no male or female. There'll be no black or white, right? It's going to be all the people. This will pass. Now, you're going to ask me the question, because I know you're thinking about it. And the question is this. Well, if I'm a Christian, how can they believe, and you fill in the blank. If I'm a Christian, why do they believe that? If they're Christians, why do they believe that? You know, I'm going to tell you something. We can be members of the family of God and not agree. You, what about your own family? Everybody in that family agree on everything? Thanksgiving has been changed, right? You put people around a table, you're going to find out. That, but do we still love each other? Yes. you got to look at people's hearts. Forget about this other stuff. It's going to go, yes, pray, vote, do what you're supposed to do as a, as a member of society. But keep in mind, the bottom line is that we're all, we're all together with the love of God. Pliny the Younger, 45 years after Paul was um, beheaded and Peter was crucified in Nero's Rome around 64 AD. 45 years later, around 110, 105, Pliny the Younger was a governor in Turkey and Trajan was the emperor. And Trajan told everybody to round up these Christians because they're not worshiping like we're the, the emperor as God. And they're just stirring up stuff. They're, they're making the world upside down. And I want you to gather them up and kill them. And Pliny the Younger said, well, before I do that, I'm going to find out who they are. So he may have, I don't know, captured a couple of them and tortured them. I don't know what he did. Maybe he put some people in there, you know, as spies. And so he wrote this letter to Trajan. Pliny the Younger wrote this letter to Trajan about Christian. It still survived. And this is what Pliny the, the Younger wrote to Trajan. Here is the sum, fault, and error of these Christians. They meet on the same day of the week before dawn. That's, that's their error, okay? <laughs> they meet on Sunday before dawn, okay, to worship God. Um, what happens if church was at 5.30 a.m. on Monday? They meet every day, they meet every, every day same day of the week. They sing hymns to Christ as God. 
Well, you know, they didn't have a Bible back then. So the hymns that they sang in worship gave them strength in their religion. And they bind themselves by an oath. All right, now, here's where we're going to get to it. Because if they got an oath that's against Caesar, we got them. They're going to bind themselves by an oath. Now, here's the oath. Not to, not to commit any crime or fraud or theft or adultery or failing a trust, which is a promise, or refusing when asked to be a trust. I'm sure Bonnie goes, dang, that's some of the best people I got. <laughs> if, that's, if that's what they do, that's what we want them to do. This was this wasn't what changed the world, y'all, is that there was a moral and ethical part of being a Christian. Yeah, there was civil law, there was Roman civil law, but if you if you worshipped, I don't know, Diana or Zeus or any of those guys, there was nothing ethical involved in that. You just gave the sacrifices and hoped the gods were happy and you know. But in this case we had we had moral and, and ethical parts. Just think about this. Against all odds, a Nazarene sect worshiping a crucified rabbi has now got what? Over a billion, maybe two billion people in the world. I want to end with what turned, in my opinion, by Lehman's heart. And by the way, Paul Harvey and the rest of the story. You know why we got this letter? Because the Bishop of Ephesus in 110 AD was named Onesimus. He put together all the letters of Paul. So, I want to end with this. Some years ago, a church in England was having a combined communion service with one of its mission churches. And the pastor noted that a former burglar was kneeling at the communion rail beside the judge of the Supreme Court of England, the very judge who years before had sentenced the burglar to seven years in prison. After his release, the burglar had been converted to Christ and became a Christian worker. After the service, the judge and the pastor walked home together, and the judge asked, Did you see who was kneeling beside me at the communion rail? Yes, replied the pastor, but I didn't know you noticed. And the two men walked in silence for a few moments. Then the judge said, What a miracle of grace. pastor nodded. Yeah, what a miracle of grace. Then the judge said, But who were you referring to? And the pastor replied, why, the conversion of the the convict. The judge says, but I was not referring to the convict. I was referring to me. What do you mean, the pastor said. The judge replied, that burglar knew how much he needed Christ to save him from his sins. But look at me. I was taught from childhood to live as a gentleman, keep my word, say my prayers, go to church. I went through Oxford, took my degrees, called to the bar, became a judge. Pastor, nothing but the grace of God could have caused me to admit that I was a sinner on the same level with the burglar. It took much, it took much more grace to forgive me for all my pride and self-righteousness to get me to admit that I was no better in the eyes of God than the convict who I sent to prison. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank us for your grace, your amazing grace. Amazing grace, how sweet it saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, and now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. In Jesus' name. Thank you, Bob. You always give us a wonderful lesson. We appreciate you very much, and are blessed to have you with us. Um, a Franciscan benediction as we leave today. 
May God bless you with discomfort at easy answers, half-truths, and superficial relationships so that you may live deep in your heart. May God bless you with anger at injustice, oppression, and exploitation of people so that you may work for justice, freedom, and peace. May God bless you with tears to shed for those who suffer pain, rejection, hunger, and war so that you may reach out your hand to comfort them and turn their pain into joy. And may God bless you with enough foolishness to believe that you can make a difference in the world so that you can do what others claim cannot be done to bring justice and kindness to all our children and the poor. Make it a great week. God loves you.